You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Man, it's good to see you. I just got to say, um, parenting, that's for young people. I, I'm telling you, we've got the grandbaby in, and we've been, we've been babysitting her since Thursday. My daughter and son-in-law went to Austin for a conference and mini vacation, and I've just got to tell you, I'm exhausted, and I haven't been doing the work. I mean, it's been all Heather. Friday night, I got no sleep. Those storms coming through, I woke up expecting the baby to wake up so I could tell Heather to go get the baby, right? Because that's what a grandfather is supposed to do, right? Um, and I didn't sleep well, so I'm, just, I'm ready for them to come home, um, and so then they can do, deal with the crying and deal with all that, and I just get back to the smiles and all the fun stuff as being a granddad, so I love that. Um, last week, we had an incredible VBS, and I just want to say thank you to all of the volunteers. It took 86 volunteers um, to do what we did, and so thank you for that. It was awesome. Uh, that, I mean, that volunteer list was people who built sets and did set design, helped write scripts and, and helped uh, organize things and even feed volunteers. Yeah, we, served, we gave them food because if, if you're going to give up your night to, to run around with kids all, all night, we're going to feed you. Um, and, so, and then small group leaders, man, it was awesome. They, they had it set up. You saw the, the platform. They went to, to number 11 after services last week. And I mean, it was incredible. And each small group had a campfire a fake campfire. Don't worry about it. It's fire in the building. So, so, I was, when they said campfire, I was like, say what? Um, it was incredible. It was beautiful. And uh, just to give you some updates about this week, we, we averaged 106 kids a night. Um, there were 39 decisions for Jesus, 15 salvations, 24 revocations. That is incredible. I... Uh, I'm blown away by that. And three of these kids already want to be baptized. So in our next baptism service, uh, it's coming up in July. I can't wait to, to be a part of that. It's going to be incredible. Thank you. And also one thing we're doing, um, because we don't believe in using guilt or compulsion to get people to do things in the church, but bribery is okay. Um, <laughs> I want to encourage you and even and ask you to pray about a Saturday night switch and to, to, to sweeten the deal this Saturday night, we're having Steel City Pops after church. Um, if you've never had Steel City Pops, they will set you free. I'm, I'm telling you. Um, I mean, it's Jesus and Steel City Pops. I mean, it, they, it just wouldn't work as part of the Trinity, but man, they're so, there's something holy about them. Um, and so you can join us. We're doing that uh, next Saturday. And I uh, wanted, wanted to encourage you. Pray about um, coming on Saturday nights to to help free up some space as we go, and especially as we get into construction, that should be starting sometime uh, <laughs> this century. Um, but, um, but we're in a series called cha- uh, Transition, and, and, and about changes life. And so if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we keep some on the back table for you, and if you don't own one, you can write your name in it. That's a free gift for you, or you can use your smartphone. Many of you choose to use your smartphones. Um, while you're doing that, you can go to Facebook and like us. Um, you can check in. And then I saw something the other day. You can give us a recommendation. So do that. If you're going to do a review, it's got to be five-star. If you're going to leave anything less, then don't, don't, don't mess with it, okay? Um, just say it. Uh, but I, I got to be honest with you. The, the last several weeks teaching have been difficult. Um, I love teaching verse by verse through the Bible because, yes, it holds us accountable to the context, and it ensures we, we teach the entirety of God's Word but I've just got to tell you, the last several weeks have been really difficult because of, of what Jesus has really 
kind of coming at us with. Um, this, this passage in Luke chapter 6 is a teaching that Jesus uh, delivered to disciples. There was about 120 disciples, and then a crowd of people were listening, and he's teaching characters uh, of Christ and character of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And, and I've got to tell you, it's been, it's been hard for me to teach because I have a hard time even living up to this. And any time Jesus is teaching us, he's setting a standard of his character that we need grace to even operate in, but it's also difficult and challenging because it calls us to change. And that's why I feel like the Holy Spirit called, called us to call this series uh, Transitions because we're constantly in transition. We're constantly in a process of changing. And, and our life in Christ is no different, that we're called to to, to a new life, and then we have to start living it out. And, and it becomes difficult because it means letting go of some behaviors and letting go of some things that we used to hold on to and embracing new things that Jesus is leading us into. And, and this is where following Jesus does get a little difficult. Jesus had no trouble gathering a crowd. But when he would start preaching, um, what would happen is he starts to explain what it means and looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And and the crowd tends to thin out because people are like, I don't want to sign up for that. I don't want to do that. And this has been a difficult teaching. Last week, um, we did the world's favorite verse, um, judge not and you won't be judged, condemn not and you won't be condemned. And we like to use that verse as a me perspective so uh, I can live my life my way and you don't have a voice to tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Um, At the core of that, it's because we don't like accountability. We don't like to have someone to tell us you know, you're heading for a cliff. Last week when we were teaching, Jesus made a comment. He said, a blind man can't lead a blind man, otherwise they will fall into a pit. We don't want anyone to tell us that we're heading to a pit. And that's a challenge, especially in the body of Christ and in church because we're called to be one body. We're called to walk with each other. We're called to help hold each other accountable. And that's not judgmentalism, that's love. See, I, was, I had some great conversations this week about last week's teaching on where's the line between calling somebody out and it being judgment. Um, I'm a father and I survived raising two teenage girls. Um, and they are now in their 20s and I am so happy because I made it. I have some scars, but we, we did it. But here's the thing, I, I love my girls and there were times that, that some of my kids start getting into some self-destructive behaviors. And it's not me being judgmental or condemning when I try to get in front of them and say, where you're heading is going to lead you into a place that is not going to be good for you. You're heading towards the pit. I'm, I'm coming to them out of love, not judging them. And, and Jesus marks this difference of, of hypocrisy and humility with the log and the speck, that we, we've got to deal with our logs before we deal with other people's specks. And if you think about it, a speck is just sawdust, and a log that he says in our eye is just a compression of all these issues that we see in other people. And humility, he's teaching us, is that humility, we deal with our log before we try to deal with other people's speck. So we are called. The word of God calls us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that the word of God is inspired, it's living, and it's given so that, that we can teach with it, convince others of faith, correct people, and even instruct in our lives. And we have that responsibility as Christ followers. And so humility versus hypocrisy, humility is, is 
is me saying we have issues. I have issues, you have issues. Let's establish that. We're both in a mess. But when I see you heading towards the pit, it's out of love that I want to help you. And I hope you do the same for me. Because when I stand here and I, and I teach the truth of God's word, I'm teaching as an imperfect man. I'm teaching a, a perfect savior, a holy God, a good God. But I'm imperfect coming to the table. And so humility is, I've got issues, you've got issues, let's, let's help each other. Hypocrisy it looks like this. You're, you're, you're screwed up and you need to fix it or you're going to mess everybody up. I'm unwilling to deal with my issue because I, I pretend that I don't have an issue. You know, when somebody says, well, what about your issue and this? I don't have an issue. You don't know what you're talking about. Not only do you have this issue, now you're a liar. You're making up stuff. That's hypocrisy. It begins, as, it's self-preservation. So Jesus is laying this foundation, and that's difficult for us to hear because we don't like being challenged and we don't like being told we're wrong, even if it's somebody who loves us. I mean, it's hard for me to hear things from Heather because she'll say, I love you very much, but this is an issue, and it's hard to hear that. And Jesus is laying this foundation before we get into this next section in verse 43 when, when he carries this train of thought. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Um, Jesus is teaching that, that a tree is going to produce what the tree is. And, and he's referring to those who follow Jesus. Remember context. He's speaking to those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, who've given up everything and laid it aside to pursue him. And then you've got the crowd watching what's going on. And so as Jesus is teaching that as you follow me and you're going to follow me, a good tree is going to produce good fruit. A bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. And a tree is going to produce what that tree is. What, what Jesus is really teaching about in the life of a disciple is that, that our core identity, the core of our identity is directly related to what our lives produce. I produce what is at the core of my identity. I mean, you, you, I grew up on a farm, and our farm had an apple tree. And it was a pretty big apple tree. And as, I, as I'm thinking about this and describing this, I'm describing an apple tree. And a lot of you get in your mind, you know, this, this beautiful tree with green leaves and these big, red, delicious apples hanging on this tree. I mean, so juicy when you take a bite of them, the juice just runs down your mouth, runs down your arm, and you're just like, that is the juiciest apple I've ever tasted. Well, this tree didn't have red apples. It had green apples. So you might think Granny Smith apples. Little tart, kind of, you know, you feel it there, you know, when you take a bite. Still juicy, crunchy, just crisp. Well, I decided to have a bite of one of the apples of this tree. And I learned quickly what a crab apple is. <laughs> and it, 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 it makes a, a, one of those sour warhead candies look like child's play. Because you take a bite of that, and it's not just you feel a zing in your jaw. It, you feel like you have locked jaw. You're like, oh, I can't bite this. You, know, you can't even spit it out. You're like, it just hurts, you know? And, and so apples will produce apple, apple, tree, apple trees will produce apples. So we've got to then start taking some stock and looking at the core of our identity. Who am I? Who am I? 
I, I mean, I, when Jesus is teaching, there's, there's two people. There's disciples and there's the crowd. When God looks at humanity, he sees the same thing. He sees two people. He sees those who are in Christ or those who are in Adam. Let me explain that. It goes back to the beginning when Adam sinned and they were kicked out of the garden. And from that moment, Scripture tells us that, that because of Adam's sin or his trespass, Romans says, that death entered and reigned from that time. And that every one of us are born into this broken system. Every one of us are born with an identity in our core that is death and brokenness and a sinful identity. And so God sees the world in Adam that it's broken and in need of a savior. And then at the, the, the right time in history, Jesus comes in and he is our sacrifice who took care of that sin nature. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. He paid a debt that he didn't owe and that we couldn't pay. And he gave his life on the cross of Calvary and the blood that was spilled satisfied the wrath of God against sin. And Jesus was resurrected on Easter morning the third day, he walked victoriously from that tomb. And because of that, you and I have a hope of reconciliation. And when we, when we confess Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he's Lord and we confess that he is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, scripture tells us that in that moment, we are saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a change that happens there's a transformation. There's a change to our core identity that we are no longer in Adam, we're in Christ. It's Jesus having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter three when Nicodemus says, Jesus, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, you, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand what he's talking about, but Jesus says, no, no, just as Water gives birth to water, so flesh gives birth to flesh because a tree will produce its own fruit. Spirit has to give birth to spirit. How does that happen? When we humble ourselves and confess that Jesus is Lord, we ask him to be our redeemer, our forgiver. We ask him for the grace and mercy. We ask him for his salvation that he bought on the cross of Calvary. In that moment, the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spirit inside of us. There's an identity change. The old is gone, the new has come. We're a completely new creation. What was dead is now alive. What was a thorn bush is now an apple tree. What was briars is now a fig tree. We have the ability now to have our identity be rooted in righteousness and holiness, and we are in Christ. See, a lot of people think that, that when you get to heaven... Um, getting into heaven is a determination of what your life has produced. Have I produced enough good to get into heaven? Or we get self-righteous and go, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I have produced enough good to get into heaven. And let me tell you something, that is nowhere in, near scriptural. It's not. The truth is, a lot of people get wrapped up around this because they think that when we step into heaven, when we die and we step in front of God to determine can we get into heaven or not, there's this cosmic scale, and he's gonna go, okay, here's all your good fruit, and here's all your bad fruit. And then you're just standing there like a game show. Which one will it be? There's no, there's no stress in that moment. Why? Because when, when we draw our last breath on this side of eternity, 
we step in the presence of God because to be absent from the body is to be present from the, with the Lord. And when we step into his presence, God doesn't need a scale. God doesn't need a litmus test. All he sees is, are you in Adam or you're in Christ? When he sees that you're in Christ, he says, welcome home, my child. And he looks at us based on our identity and our identity comes through the blood of Jesus to be in Christ. And so uh, we've got this at the core. And, and then he goes on. Jesus goes on to carry this, this theme out when he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Um, Jesus is very concerned about our heart. God is very concerned about our heart um, because Christianity um, works from the inside out. Um, if, you, if you try to work it from the outside in, then you're talking religion. Christianity works from the inside. There's an internal change. There's an identity change at the core of who we are. And then that begins to play out. And the reason that, that the heart is such a big issue is our core identity is revealed by our core values. You know, those things that I, that I fill my heart with or that I set as values in my life and values in my heart are vital. When Jesus says, when those values are good, then we produce good. When those values are evil, we produce evil. And it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth is going to speak. People will know our identity, and that, that core identity is revealed by what we say. And, and that begins to come out. It's, it's what the, the country preacher used to say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. What's inside of you will come out. And I hear people say, well, well, that, that person made me so angry. They, they put that anger in me, and I said something that is not me. I said something that's not my character. We've, we all say things we regret. But let's not deceive ourselves and lie about it to say that person put it in me. That person didn't put it in me. What happened? They drew it out of me. They applied enough pressure that that value was squeezed and it came out. And instead of trying to make excuses for it, let me, let's, let's do this. Apologize for it. The heart is a major concern of God. As Solomon in his wisdom wrote this. He said, he said, keep your heart with all vigilance because from it flow springs of life. One translation says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. See, we've got to be protective of what, what we're feeding on, what's coming into our heart. In 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 these recent times, um, there's a new phenomenon that we, we deal with. It's called binge watching. I mean, you remember back in the day, you didn't have DVR. If the show came on at seven, you had two options. Watch the show at seven or do the old VCR. Remember that? Did you set the video to record? Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, man. God bless you. Bless your heart. With DVR, you didn't have to watch commercials. Praise God for Netflix because I don't even have to fast forward the commercials now. But here's something I learned. That 30-minute show, there's nine minutes of commercials. So now it's easier to binge watch because the show's only 21 minutes. And so Heather and I'll be sitting there, we'll watch an episode. Like, you want to watch one more? Absolutely. Let's do one more. You get it? Well, we, we, we can't leave it at that. Let's watch one more. One more and then we're going to bed. Just one more and we're going to bed. All right, we got one more in us, okay? We just set the alarm about 15 minutes later. 
tomorrow morning. We got this. And then you finish a season. You're like, oh, no, we got to at least watch the first episode of the next season because they can't leave it hanging like this because I'm not waiting. I, I cannot wait to see what happens. And we get into this. And, and here's something I've discovered about myself. There are certain shows that I do not need to binge watch. There are certain shows I don't even need to watch, period. Okay, I'll confess that. But there are certain shows that I don't need to binge watch because what happens when I'm filling myself with that, that's changing and attacking my values. And eventually, it comes out. And I don't like what comes out. And when we get to a point of seeing what comes out and not liking what comes out, there's two things we need to ask ourselves. Is my identity rooted in Christ? So have I experienced a core change of identity? Yes? Then where are my values? What has begun to attack the values that I'm, I'm consuming something? Because it has to come in to get into my heart before it can come out. And so I've got to start asking myself, what am I, if I don't like what I'm producing, what am I consuming? Because there's a balance in following Jesus. Following Jesus isn't just about consuming. We're called to produce. And what we consume is directly related to what we produce. What comes in is going to go out. And, and this idea of Christians are called to produce, there is a balance in that. Are we consuming holy and righteous things? Are we spending time in the word of God to feed us in holiness and righteousness so that what's in the heart comes out? See, what I value is what I place as ultimate in my life. And what I value is what I pursue. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6, 21, when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because Jesus said in this, this passage, out of the good treasure of his heart, we produce good. Out of the evil treasure. So that means that there are desires and things that we can place as values in our life, and we set those as ultimate in our life that can be good or evil. And I, I, I can tell when I'm not in line with that value because I start to speak about things that I've said as ultimate in my life and I'm not speaking holiness and righteousness. And then I'm called to produce. So if I'm not consuming righteous things and holiness, how am I going to produce that? I mean, Christianity is about production. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter four, he says, look up for the fields are ripe with harvest. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. Who are those workers? It's you and I. When we become Christians, when we get saved, we enter into this harvest field. We are part of the harvest of, of, and the fruit and producing for the kingdom. Somewhere along the way, um, we've, we've tipped the scale on this balance of consumption where we lean too heavily on consuming the things of God. And, and, and somewhere along the way, we've kind of gotten an identity issue in the church 
where church is about consumption instead of production. Where we, we, we come in and we look during worship and go, entertain me. And it's not about the presence of God. It's about how well you can move me because I need to, I want to consume that. And then for the teaching and preaching, um, it is a priority to me priority to me to teach with excellence the word of God. But we've made this idea of church like a, a restaurant. Like I'm going to the restaurant. I'm going to the church to get fed. Um, I love going to a restaurant. You know why? Because all I have to do is let somebody else take care of me and pay the check. I don't even have to do the dishes, praise God. And somehow we've gotten this idea that church is like a restaurant, and, and that's, that's not right. If that's the way we think, no wonder we have so many weak Christians walking around Monday through Friday, because if you're only eating once a week, you're, you're starving the rest of the week. And we wonder why we don't see the kingdom of God advancing the way that when we gather, we pray it does. Let me, let me give you a mind shift here. Um, coming to church is less like a restaurant, more like a grocery store. When I go into the grocery store, I have a much different mentality. I went to Costco this week, and, and it, was, it was an A-plus day at Costco. I've just got to say this, because they had the chicken salad out as the sample. I mean, any t- about four or five trips around that thing, I'm like, I'm good. That was my appetizer. That got me over the hangry so we could make it to lunch. But I didn't go in there expecting a meal. I knew I would find some kind of samples. But I go in there to get ingredients to take home and make a meal and feed myself. When we gather as the church, how we come in, and we gotta have a good appetizer. We have good samples, things like that. But it's all about us getting in the presence of God and celebrating the goodness of God and celebrating and giving God glory for the lives that have been changed because of the gospel that's going out from us. We celebrate because of what the Holy Spirit is producing in us and through us. And we spend time in God's presence. We encourage one another. And our greatest strength isn't when we gather and consume. It's when we scatter and begin to produce holiness in the world around us. And that's what we're called to do. And so, so with this idea of production, that, that if Jesus expects me to produce, then, then I want to know what the, what the boundaries are. I want to know what my expectations are. I mean, we work in environments where, okay, if you're going to set an objective on me, I want to know what that objective is. And I did some searching in Scripture, and I want to give you these um, so you can go back and you can study these and really start to make some meals on your own. And the fruit that Jesus is looking at our life to see what we produce, the first one is fruit of the Spirit. It's Galatians chapter 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Notice that it says the fruit, not the fruits. That this is like an edible arrangement dipped in chocolate, because chocolate makes all fruit taste better, right? But this is, this is the arrangement of fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our life. You and I don't have the ability to produce this. Now, we can, we can fake joy. We can get this masked idea of joy or this shallow idea of love, but it's not sustainable. It, it's plastic fruit. It looks good for a while, but when somebody tries to take a bite of it, it's not gonna offer any sustenance. 
The Holy Spirit produces this in our life. This comes from being rooted in Christ, our identity being firmly planted in Jesus Christ, and our values set. See, when, the, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to produce this in our life, and we yield to that. If you're not seeing this in your life, go back to that core test. What's my core identity? Am I in Christ or not? Have I made a decision to submit my life to Christ or not? If I have, where's my values? What am I feeding on? Because I'm not seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out. We can't produce it, but we can hinder the production of it. The next one is fruit of our lips. This is what we speak, what we say. Hebrews chapter 13 says that through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's that, and I love that it says sacrifice of praise because I'm going to be honest with you. I came to church last night and I just, I, you know, I was in here for the first song and, and I was tired. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel good and I didn't want to worship. I didn't want to praise. I mean, it was not a knock on the band. Band's phenomenal. Love the song. But I'm just in this kind of little, little bit of a funk, and I was just like, I just, you know, I just don't, I mean, I'm, that's good music, but man, I'm just not feeling like worshiping right now. And then I started really thinking, you know, why, why, why would I worship? I started thinking because God's good. Because I was a wretch and God saved me. Because I'm undeserving of anything from God and he's given it to me graciously. And I started talking to myself about that. And I have to tell you, I I made a sacrifice of praise. I put Matt and his feelings aside to get in the presence of a holy God. What, what do our lips speak about the goodness of God? See, James talks a lot about the power of our words and the power of our tongue. I mean, he says, look, look, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, there's the heart and the mouth speaking again. The person's religion is worthless. What do people think about Jesus based on how you talk about Jesus? What do people think about Jesus just based on how we talk? Next one is fruit of growth. Um, in Romans chapter six, it says the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. Sanctification is just this. It's a maturity process. So is there growth in our life? And, and here's the, the challenge. Let me, let me help you because a lot of us like to get it when we start measuring growth in Christianity and in the church, uh, we get very uh, externally focused. We start looking at my walk with Jesus compared to yours. I mean, we start thinking, well, I didn't drop the F-bomb as much as I heard that person drop the F-bomb. You know, I'm holier than Matt because at least I can contain myself in traffic. You know, or I can look at you, I'm holier than you and I fill in the blank. That's the, that growth, it's not a comparison. That'll lead us into a cycle that will drive us insane. It's your journey. They're your miles. Where were you when you started with your relationship with Jesus and where are you now? Is there measurable growth? If there's not, do the check. My identity is my identity in Christ. Yes, I've given my life to Christ. I've asked him to be my Lord and Savior. 
Okay, let's check the values. Let's do a value check. But it's the fruit of growth. Jesus expects us to grow. Now, I've got this cute little grandbaby, and she's been here for two weeks, and she has changed so much from the time they got here. And I was looking at her this morning before church, and she's just changed so much in two weeks. Same thing God expects in our spiritual walk. He should see growth in it. The next one is fruit of work or fruit of the labor. In Colossians 1, verse 10, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, let me qualify this because um, scripture does not tell us that our labor or our work is what saves us, that our labor or our work is what earns God's favor. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 teaches us that salvation is a gift of God. It's grace. It's given freely, so we don't brag about it. It says that also we're saved for God's works, that we're his masterpiece, and he has work for us to do. See, we don't work for salvation, but when we're saved, it leads us to work for the kingdom. And I don't work, and I don't do this fruit of the labor and bring this basket of fruit to God going, do you love me more because I've produced? That's a vicious cycle. That's not how our Father works. Here's, here's, I'm going to say something scary because it could stagnate a lot of people's faith. But God loves you regardless of what your life produces. It's about your identity. But what a shallow faith if we just want to sit in an identity that's saved and never produce anything that we have the ability to produce. It's a lazy faith. The last one is the fruit of life. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he says, I've, I've been coming to you, trying to come to you and come and visit you, um, but I've been prevented. And he tells them why he's been prevented. In order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What he's saying is, I, I'm trying to come and visit you guys, but here's the thing. Y'all are already saved. And, and there's people out here that don't know Jesus, and, and they're hearing about Jesus. And so I call that the fruit of life because it's the fruit of a disciple. The fruit of a disciple is a disciple. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. I mean, when Jesus told us that we're, we're called to produce, he gave us the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into the world and find a church and sit and get fat and lazy. Spiritually speaking, but it's the fruit of life. What are we producing? And, and, and here's the reality is we, we, are called to be, we are called to inspect the fruit of our life. And we do that lovingly and not out of judgment, um, but, but we gotta get to a moment of self-awareness and pray the prayer that David prayed when he said, search my heart, God. Reveal my heart, reveal any evil or wicked ways in me. And so we, we've gotta get honest and pray that, but when God reveals it, we gotta deal with it. Ask people who love you. What do you see my life producing? Watch people's reaction around you to how you speak. Because you may think that you're this apple tree with big, beautiful green leaves and bright red, delicious apples hanging from each branch. And that when you speak and when you when you share with people and when you talk with people, they're eating the sweetest apple they've ever put in their mouth. 
But when you watch their reaction, you may find that you've just given them a crab apple. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to love you on account of Jesus. That's not biblical. But are we turning people off by what our life produces and how we speak? So Jesus really gets to the core of this issue because a disciple, he says, is going to be rooted in Christ. John 15, he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, it's he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want to challenge you this morning. Where's your identity rooted? Have you come to that moment in your life where you have surrendered and submitted everything to Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that there is an identity shift that happens in the core of your entire being? If not, I want to give you that opportunity. And it's easy to do. We can get hung up on process, but it's simply this. It's humbling yourself before God and saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm asking for your grace and I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to make me a new believer. I'm asking you to make me a new creation. I'm asking you, Jesus, to give me an identity that is firmly rooted in you. And that identity will never be stolen. At that moment when you pray that and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you confess that with your mouth by saying, Jesus, I believe that you're my Savior and my Lord. Scripture is very clear that the Holy Spirit moves in and seals you and gives you a promise and a guarantee for that day of redemption. And your identity is secure, firmly rooted. And for many of us, we need to go back and do a values check. Where are we planted? What are we seeking nourishment from? Because my prayer is that we're like that tree in Psalm 1, that we're planted in that water, and that we produce our fruit in season, our leaf does not wither, because that's what God has planted us to be. That's what Jesus paid for. So I pray that we are a body of believers, a group of disciples that follow Jesus wholeheartedly, leaving everything behind us, holding each other accountable, walking in love, and producing incredible things for the kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you that it's you and only you that can change our identity. And I pray for for that person in this room that has never put their faith, their trust in you. They've never experienced that identity change. I pray you give them the courage and the humility just to call out to you and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me and make me new. God, for those of us in this room that that our identity is rooted in Christ, but our values just haven't shown it. And what our life is producing, really, it's, it's not nourishing. God, I just pray that you give us the humility and the courage to pray like David prayed, search my heart, God. And let's get these values lined up with the identity that you've put in me, Father. I 
pray that we, we are a people that love one another, that we walk in love, that we hold each other accountable in love, and that we produce in our life fruit that brings you glory, Father, because everything we do is for your glory. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at